You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. I was raised in a small town, 6,000 people in the middle of nowhere on a farm. And uh, I, I kind of would explain life as me trying to find what matters. Like when you're young, like what matters most is, is just having a good time. You're always looking for the next fun, the next video game, the next like invitation where a friend can come over or the next tree to climb. And as, as I grew older, like girls began to matter most. Like I started this like deep insecure journey of trying to win the approval and attention of the opposite sex. And as I ventured into high school, it was just a total identity crisis uh, because what mattered most to me was fitting in. And I would do anything to fit in. And so being in South Texas, like I was a part of this group called Future Farmers of America. I know as a future farmer, (laughs) FFA. And and I showed hogs, chickens, rabbits, goats, and steer. But that's not all. Like like in this season of my life, I, I wanted to fit in with the athletes. So I ran track and played basketball, but I'm slow and I can't jump. And, and, and so then I kind of mixed in with the wrong crowd. And I, I had both ears pierced, first tattoo at 14, did drugs, sold drugs, carried a gun, all in an effort of trying to fit in. I had this 1979 baby blue Mercedes Benz with hydraulics, said Superfly on the back. <laughs> You know, going to Future Farmers of America in my Superfly <laughs> Mercedes, just trying to figure out what matters. And then when I, I left and I went into college, it was almost like a step back into elementary school because what mattered most to me was, again, having fun, looking for the next great time, the next party, the next club, the, uh, the next hangout, the next lady friend that I could win uh, the attention of and, and take advantage of. And, Really what mattered most to me in this season was sin, completely enslaved to pornography. I had an internet connection in my on-campus apartment's computer just so that I could binge on pornography in this season. And and then I invited, you know, smoking weed, the, the occasional cocaine, MDMA, Molly, ecstasy, right? Just looking for the next good time. Uh, I somehow graduated from college and I moved to Dallas. And what mattered most to me in this season of my life was making money. I wanted to be a millionaire before I was 30. And so as I, you know, succeeded in some ways, I, I started flipping houses, started a real estate company, landed a job in corporate America, got a large commission check, uh, bought the penthouse condo in Uptown, had the, the sexy Jaguar, you know, different suit for every day of the week, different watch for every day of the week, and, and always just kind of living for the weekend because that's what mattered most to me. I'm at this club 20 years ago, and I'll just say that at this season of my life, 20 years ago, I I grew up in the church. My dad was Catholic, my mom was Lutheran, every Sunday they went to separate churches. I didn't even know that was weird until I left home. I went to church school for nine years, you know? But at this season of my life, I had learned that God was the sheriff in the sky that just wanted to get me if I had done something wrong. I'm doing a lot of things wrong, so I don't want anything to do with God. 
I'm at this club 20 years ago. I'm leaning up against a pool table with the Miller Lite in my hand, and I bump into a friend that I knew in college. I said, what are you doing this weekend? She said, I'm gonna go check out this church tomorrow. I said, great, pick me up. She did, and I went, and I sat in the back row, hung over. I smelled like smoke from the night before, and I began to wrestle with who is God? I always said I was, if you would have asked me, I said I was a Christian. I might have even shared some semblance of the gospel with you. But I, I started to wrestle with this idea of who is God because I was like, what are the odds that I'd be born to the right country? Like if I was born in India, I'd be Hindu. If I was born in China, I'd be Buddhist. If I was born in Iran, I'd be Muslim. If I was born in Israel, I might be Jewish. If I was born in Utah, I'd be Mormon. Like what are the odds that I would be born into the right place and the right family to the right God? So I bought a book on world religions and I started studying for the first time in my life. I really had never studied anything except women, you know, until right now. And I'm, and I'm studying and I'm like, okay, who is God? And I was really blown away by the evidence that pointed and led me back to the faith where I started. That every atheist you know acknowledges Jesus Christ by the date on their iPhone or their Android. The date they put on their checks, 2,022 years from Jesus Christ's birth, B.C., before Christ, A.D., it's medieval Latin, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Somehow this man reset the calendar, but I was like, he's a carpenter born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a tiny little town. Why do we know it? You ever heard of Nazareth? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Nazareth. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Netanya. It's a city between Bethlehem and Nazareth, much bigger than both Bethlehem and Nazareth put together. You've never heard of it because Jesus wasn't born there and he didn't live there. I started to wrestle with how did this carpenter reset time? And I realized it's because he came back to life. He, he died in a way that everyone saw naked on the side of the road. L like thieves and murderers. He was put in a tomb. And three days later, he showed back up. And that made all the difference. When you do something like that, people talk about it and word gets out and it's reached us today so much so that we would raise our hands and lift our voices and sing of his name. Why? Because he defeated death. He defeated death. That's a big, big deal. And, and so I was asked to speak on the importance of the resurrection. And as a preacher, that's a little bit of a layup because I don't know that there's anything more important outside of your salvation, which includes the resurrection. I don't know that there's anything more important, a topic more important. So that's what we're going to discuss, why the resurrection matters most. Where I was at in that club, 20 years ago, I was a narcissistic, materialistic, alcoholic, porn addict, lost in the world, and I would have zero hope if there was no resurrection. 
Like if there's no resurrection of the dead, why not in tonight in a big giant party where we hand out shots of poison as party favors and put this to rest? Because in this world you will have trouble. Why not do all we can to escape the troubles of this world if there's no resurrection? But there is. Every person you know that you've ever come in contact with or whoever has walked on this earth is an eternal being that will be in one of two destinations forever and ever and ever and ever. There are no mortal beings. Every person you've come in contact with is an immortal soul, an immortal body. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 says this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I love that. The, the scripture itself, inspired and breathed by God himself, says if there's no resurrection, we're dumb. We are completely and totally, utterly wasting our time. Our lives and our mission and our purpose is futility without the resurrection. And so I'll be in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll bring in some other scriptures, but as we move through this, we're going to talk about why the resurrection matters, because it happened, that it confirms Jesus as our Savior, and it gives us hope. And I'll start here in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. When Paul says about himself that he is abnormally born, he's not talking about his natural birth. He's talking about his second birth, being born again through trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul met Jesus, but Paul met Jesus after he had already been crucified. How do you meet someone who's already died? They would have to show back up. They would have had to raise from the dead. And that moment on a little jaunt to Damascus, Paul's life was changed forever. Known as one of the greatest apologetics to the Christian faith was this terrorist, Jihadi John, somebody leading uh, uh, a, a murderous threat against what was known then as the way, we now know it as the church or Christianity, and all of a sudden, in a moment, he changes teams. <laughs> like one day, Stephen is being murdered by their throwing rocks at him until his, his heart stops beating and he stops breathing and his life leaves him. And Paul or Saul of Tarsus is there saying, yeah, he's dead. And then he's like, I'm going to follow Jesus and become the greatest missionary this world has ever known and give my life for him. Uh, I'm going to face threats and flogging and imprisonment and hatred 
against the very tribe that I led because I have talked to someone who has come back from the dead. That's significant. My first point is the resurrection matters because it happened. The resurrection mattered because it happened. It's a very significant event. Would you think about this for a minute? This is a little weird, but just kind of use your imaginations with me for a moment. Imagine if I came to you tonight from Waco, and what I did right now is I taught you how to levitate. Yeah, like, like literally how to fly. And you're, you're skeptical, but I, I come up here and, I, and I'm showing you, I'm like, yeah, you, you tap your leg twice and your shoulder once, and you come over here and snap three times, and then all of a sudden I float up off the stage. I know it's weird. And as I float up, then I start flying around the room. And you guys are all, like at first you're like, oh, there's got to be cables or wires. But, but I go out of my way to show you no, that you actually can do this. And then one of you tries it, and then you do Don't try it, because it's not real. I'm making this up. <laughs> Somebody over there tapping their leg. Don't do that. <laughs> Stay with me, right? I, I float up, and then you float up, and you see that you can do it, Right? And then you, you leave here. It's like we activated something that no one knew about until tonight. And then like people can fly, but, but in, in all of history, no one knew that. And you leave here with knowledge uh, of how you can fly, but not just that. You know how to teach others to do it now. How, how long would it take for all of the world to fly? How fast would that message spread? Like you'd leave here, like you wouldn't be able to sleep. You'd be like, I can't believe I can fly. This is crazy. You're cold. Mom, listen. No, tap your leg three times, then the other shoulder, and snap three times. You know, you're, you're telling everyone, you're like, no, no, it's amazing. I can tell you how to do it. And you just would call people. You go on Instagram, you're like, listen, okay, guys, you ready? Here's the tutorial. No, I know I'm usually talking about makeup, but no, tonight it's how you fly, right? And you're telling people how fast would that message spread through the land. Some of us would be more excited to talk to people about how to fly than how to live forever. Like, that's crazy. Think about that for a moment. We know how you can live forever. Why would one story we would, sh uh, we would share with such zeal and another one we would keep to ourselves? Well, because they might be mean to me. They might, no, I mean, when I tell them that they can fly, they're going to think I'm crazy. Until they do it, you know, then they're not going to think you're crazy anymore, right? Like we have been entrusted with this message. You know, because of where you are, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, you know how to live forever. You can live forever. Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, it's documented in Matthew chapter 16. His boys are there and, and he's like, what's up guys? Hey, who do they say I am? They're standing around, they're like, I don't know, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Well, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter speaks up, which is if you know anything about the Bible, it's like, oh no, Peter. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut, buddy. But he gets it right. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that's right, Peter. Hey, you are my rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not come against it. And he's like talking about the ecclesia. This is where we get this word. It's, it's first introduced in this chapter. And they're like, the church, Jesus, I don't know if you understand. Like the religious people don't like you. And there's only 12 of us. And we're not even so sure about Judas. We don't know what team he's playing on, you know. And you're going to build the church 
It's my favorite prophecy in all the scriptures because look where we are. Billions with a B gather in his name. Today. Today. And it started with 12 guys on the side of a hill who gave their life for that cause because they saw the resurrected Jesus. Some people think that the Bible wasn't written until way after Jesus' life. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, over 500 people saw the resurrected Lord and most of them are still alive, go ask them. That kind of gives us an idea of the date. They're still alive. You can go and talk to them for yourself. They saw him with their own eyes. That's why this message exploded as evidence of the resurrection. I've worked, I've been employed by the church for over 15 years. I want you to know the church doesn't do anything quickly. There are boards and bureaucracy and decisions to be made and prayer and fasting that happens. Because of the resurrection, the day of worship changed from Saturday to Sunday, okay? Like that, that's a miracle an absolute miracle in and of itself, that we would gather that for all of history until Jesus raised from the dead, the church met on Saturday. And then the holy day became Sunday. And maybe you're like, you're here, somebody invited you, you're a skeptic, and you're like, but, but how do we know he died? Romans were professional executors. They took great pride in their ability to kill someone. In fact, they would do it on the side of the road as a billboard to show you how bad they were, to put fear in you, right? They they got the job done. He was wrapped in 75 pounds of linen and placed in a tomb for three days. And when he showed back up, he went on a little seven-mile jog to Emmaus. You don't do that if you're barely alive. He was dead. Verse four. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, Israel or, or first century God followers were looking for the Messiah. They wanted a savior. Specifically, they wanted someone who was going to set them free from Rome. They were thinking too small. Like the Roman government was oppressive to them. And they said, hey, you've got to send this warrior king on a white stallion to set us free from this government and stand on his shoulders. And Jesus came so that they could live forever to save them from their sins and the death that came after their sins or the death that their sins caused. And so my second point is the resurrection matters because it confirms Jesus as our savior. The resurrection matters because it confirms Jesus as our savior. The Old Testament prophesied of the resurrection in Isaiah 53, it says that there's one that's gonna come and the Lord's gonna prolong his days. Right? That, that we're going to see him die, but that he's going to live through it. And then in Psalm 16, David writes this. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. That verse right there in Psalm 16, it's the first sermon ever preached in the church. There's Peter again. Emboldened by the Holy Spirit. 
And he goes, Psalm 16, he says, hey, let me teach you. You gotta understand, if you were a part of the church in the first and second century, when you would show up today, the message you would get is, hey, he came back to life. That's, that's the message, that's what they were spreading. Hey, remember Jesus? Remember that they killed him, or you killed him, or, or whoever killed him at the time? It's like, he showed back up. And that's what Peter taught, and then Paul comes later and teaches out of this same verse. Let me read to you from Acts 2. Fellow Israel, this is Peter. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus. Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. First sermon ever preached in the church, right there. He goes Psalm 16 on them. Jesus defeated death. He saves us from our sin, and he saves us from the consequences of our sin. He saves us to God. We are reconciled to God. I was a lifeguard growing up. Anybody else a lifeguard? You remember the lifeguard test? There's like six of us in the room. So you guys are in good hands, you're safe. Uh, assume you all know CPR. Um, the test was it, was, it was pretty intense. You know, you, you swam hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards, and you had to show yourself worthy because if someone's drowning, they are, are buried in their inability to swim. So to save them from that situation, you'd have to overcome swimming. You'd have to show that you could go and pull them out of their drowning and not drown yourself. So if someone is going to save us through death, they would have to go through death themselves. That's why Jesus is a worthy savior. He's really, really good at saving people. Like, like regardless of where you're at, in your story, what you did last night, last week, or what you've been doing for the last 20 years. Like he can reach in that miry pit and set you on solid ground. He's very, very, very good at it. He's, some might say, perfect at it. He's, he's a great savior. And to show you that he conquered death, I would tell you, we have no body. Not, not like nobody, but no body. Like we don't have his body. If you could come up with a bone of Jesus Christ, it would be absolutely priceless. You would be the wealthiest person in the entire world. There are atheists that would pay you billions of dollars. They would raise it. They would come up with it to, to have that evidence, but we have no body. Now, if you were to look at other world religions, uh, like let's say Islam, you have Mohammed, uh, the founder of Islam. He's buried in the mosque of the prophet in the city of Medina, Saudi Arabia. There it is. You can go and see his grave. If we're talking about Buddha's body, he was cremated and, and his ashes and some of his bones and teeth are placed in temples uh, like the Temple of the Tooth in Sri Lanka. You can go there. There's parts of him there. If, if we're talking about Joseph Smith Jr., the leader of uh, the Latter-day Saints movement, he's buried in Nuovo, Illinois. You can go and see his tomb. But I've been to Israel. I've been in the tomb, believed to be Jesus's. 
and it's empty. There's nothing there. There's no one there. There's no body. We have no body as evidence of the resurrection. The tomb is empty. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, what if someone stole the body? Okay. It was sealed and it was guarded, but... The scriptures actually tell us that some people would believe this. In Matthew 28, the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, he, he, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. I'm glad you're here. We don't just follow a man, we follow a savior who saves us from our sin and saves us from the consequence, the eternal consequence of our sin known as death or known as hell or known as eternal suffering. And if you're like, that's great, you have the Bible, which supports the Bible, it's a, it's a circular argument, well, this scripture says that this scripture is true, and this scripture, like, what if I question the source? There was a historian at this time, his name was Josephus Flavius. Josephus was not a Christian. He was a well-known Jewish historian, and we actually have something that he wrote as a historian in 93 AD. This is what he says. Now there was, about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Not at this day either, Josephus. We still gather in his name, sing songs about him, tell stories about him. Our lives have been changed by him. His spirit lives in us and influences us towards righteousness in this broken and decaying world. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. I wanna focus on that, those words. It's still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, we are still in our sins. If there's no resurrection, prom night owns us. The abortion, defines us. If there's no resurrection, I am. My identity is alcoholic, porn addict, fornicator, greedy, adulterous, liar, cheat. These are the labels that stick to me if there's no resurrection. But the resurrection matters because it gives us hope. My third and final point. The resurrection matters because it gives us hope. You are not stuck in your sins. And, and to, to show you this, I want to go to one of my favorite stories in the scripture. It's John chapter 21. We're talking about Peter again. Bonehead, buffoon, Peter. Now, I don't know if you know much about Peter. When Jesus found him, he was fishing. He had been fishing, he hadn't caught anything, 
And Jesus says, throw your nets down one more time. And and when he does, he catches so much fish that he sees it as a supernatural event. And he falls to Jesus' feet and says, I am not worthy of you. And Jesus says, well, actually, I'm going to make you no longer fish for fish. From this moment forward, you're going to fish for people. Come follow me. And he throws his nets down at that and he follows Jesus. And that began the adventure of a lifetime. Can you imagine? Hey, Jesus, this guy can't walk. He can now. Hey, Jesus, this person can't see. He can now. You know? Hey, hey, hey Jesus, this person can't speak. I'm going to make them so that they can pray and praise and worship. Like, this is amazing. Like, hey, oh, is that Jesus on the water? Hey, it's me. Come out here. You know, that would be crazy. He began the adventure of a lifetime, leading up to the point where he would share a meal we now know as the Last Supper, the Passover meal. He's sitting there with Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, one of you is going to betray me before the the rooster crows three times. And, And Peter's like, no, not me. Jesus is like, we'll see. Right? And he gets to this place where Jesus is arrested. And Peter, full of zeal, whoosh, you know, cuts off an ear. Jesus is like, stop that. Heals the guy. And then is led astray. And the disciples are, are left afraid. What's gonna happen to us? I thought he was gonna set us free from Rome. Man, I thought this was our meal ticket. I thought he was going to conquer the Roman government, and here we are, man. He's, he's in chains. Like, surely he's not going to die. Surely he's not going to die. And there's Peter. He's warming himself around a fire. The scripture says a coal-burning fire, and he's there. And, and, you know, the rooster's crowing, and this girl comes up and says, hey, I know you. You're one of the, the you, you were with the Galilean. And it says, he just says, no, I wasn't. And he begins to curse there's some F-bombs in there or something. Like he just, he, he's so frustrated and furious that he begins to curse, saying, no, I don't know him with expletives. And he looks up and they lock eyes. And that moment right there, that's worse than the sex on prom night. That's worse than the abortion. That's worse than whatever you snorted, smoked, or shot up. That's worse than your pride and your self-righteousness. Right there, he looks Jesus in the eyes and says, his best friend right in front of him, I don't know that guy. That's some heavy shame. And Jesus goes to a cross. They stab him in his side. Blood and water pour out. If you know anything, it's, it's, he's dead. He's very, very dead. These guys are cowards. Hiding in an upper room. What, what's going to happen to us now? I have no hope now. The one we follow is dead and they're gonna kill us next. And Peter in John 21 says, I'm gonna go fishing. But if you read it in the Greek, what it actually says is, I'm going back to fishing. This is a career change. Hey, there, there's not, he called me from it, but that's all I know, I gotta go back to it. I'm a fisherman. That's the label that sticks to me. As I'm dead in my shame, I betrayed my friend, I'm going 
back to fishing. And it says he fished all night and he hasn't caught anything. And Jesus walks up on the scene. Now, I don't know if you've ever been afraid to face someone that you hurt, but you're really worried and concerned about that moment, how they're going to respond. And what they say first really matters. Like, are they going to swing on you? Are they going to curse you, spit on you, turn around, walk the other way? And you kind of hope the best case scenario is they'd make a joke, right? And so in John 21, Jesus walks up to him and what he says is, little boys, no fish, huh? That, that's what it really is in the Greek. He, he, he's, it's like this comical, sarcastic, little boys, no fish, huh? And they, they've got to be like, man, who is this joker, you know? No, man, we haven't caught any. Why don't you throw your nets on the other side? They do. And they catch 153 fish. Do you know how we know it was 153 fish? Because someone counted and they wrote it down. And we can read it today, 153 fish. And Peter, this being reminiscent of when Jesus, Jesus called him to ministry, looks up and says, it's Jesus. And like a golden retriever just jumps in the water, okay? Still a moron, you know? It just is like, let's go. And he just, just dies. He even gets dressed before he does it, which is weird. But the scripture tells us that he puts on his robe and just jumps in the water and starts American crawling. To, I mean, not even like rowing. He's just like swimming to the side. And when he gets there, Jesus is around a fire. But not just any kind of fire. There's all kinds of fires in the scripture. Like Genesis to Revelation, full of fires. Only two places do we see this Greek word athrakia. It's a coal-burning fire. Jesus creates the same environment where Peter denied him. And he says, do you love me, Peter? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Master, you know. I mean, I don't understand. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. I've called you to more than fishing. I've called you to more than shame. I've called you to more than the death that sits on the other side of your sin. Peter, are you ready to do what I've called you to do? And tonight, you've got to answer that. Are you ready to walk in, to, to fulfill your purpose, walk in your mission, to do everything that the Lord has called you to because you're going to live forever? And these guys, these guys, they went from cowards to build my church. What are you talking about, Jesus? They're going to kill you to... Let's go. James, Jesus' brother who worshiped him. By the way, I've got a brother, never been tempted to worship me, not even one time. But James, Jesus' brother, Jesus shows back up on the scene. They take James up to the top of the temple and they say, deny the resurrection. He's like, I can't, I saw him. Like, deny the resurrection or we will kill you. You do what you gotta do. I saw him. They throw him off the temple. He hits the ground. Dust comes up and they walk down. They stand over him with clubs. Deny the resurrection. I can't. And they beat him to death. Peter, 
They take him and say, hey, we're going to kill you. He says, you do what you got to do. Well, we're going to crucify you. We'll just do this. Crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like my Lord has. These cowards turned courageous. Why? Because they saw the resurrected Lord. In summary, the resurrection matters because it happened. The resurrection matters because it conforms, confirms Jesus as our Savior. And the resurrection matters because it gives us hope. I have three kids, my wife and I, and it's really an interesting journey to watch what matters most to them. Like, like when they were little, Weston, our son, he had a night-night, Banky. It's his only possession, and it matters most to him, and he takes it everywhere with him, and his sisters are a little bit older, and they've got devices, iPads, and they're like, Weston, you're so silly that you think your night-night matters. It's the iPad that matters, and you know how it is. You, you grow up, and then you're in high school, you know, and, and you're like, oh, now I know what matters. I've got to get one of these jackets with the carpet ladders. <laughs> Write Philippians 4.13 on it so they know I'm Christian. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> now I know what matters, right? And it's just a journey of figuring out what matters. It, it never goes away. Like you, you move into the next season of life. BMOC. I got to get that professor. <laughs> got to make the grade. You know? Now I know what matters. Greek life. Now I know what matters. Right? I got to somehow cram as much fun into these four years and miraculously graduate because this is what matters. And that moment passes and you just kind of move into the next season of life and you find yourself with a white dress or something like this on and, you know, not a red shirt underneath. You probably look better. And you're saying things like, I, for rich or poor in sickness and health till death do us part. I know what matters most now. I've got to convince someone of the opposite sex to spend the rest of their life with me, Right? And then it just continues because you're like, no, no, no. I've got to get a good job. I've got to make six figures, maybe seven. Be crazy driven. Get the car, get the condo, get the house. Have the kids. I know what matters most now. And that season passes too. And then you're like, no, no, you know what it is? We gotta travel, see the world, buy an RV, collect some seashells, you know? This is what matters most. And here's why I left my three kids and my amazing wife back in Waco to be here with you tonight to tell you one day much sooner than you realize, you're gonna know what matters most. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death for the forgiveness of your sins, and him showing you that he's defeated death 
allowing you to have his Holy Spirit deposited in you as a guarantee that he's going to carry you to the finish of forever with the Father, forever and ever and ever, where there is no shame, there is no sadness, no sickness, no disease, no breakup or heartbreak, no death, no cancer, none of that. And maybe you know the gospel, maybe you've heard it all before, but this is your moment. What matters most to you? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thank you for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.